0: Hi, I'm Ian. And I'm James. This is Two Player. A podcast about the importance of play in a complicated world.
1: Today we have a, a special presentation. We got a, a, a guest speaker in to talk about the real and the hyper real and get philosophical while talking about uh, uh, Baudrillard's uh, simulations and simulacra. So that's the theme. That's going to be coming up in about 10 or 15 minutes. Before we get into that, hey, James. What have you been playing over the last uh, couple of weeks now?
0: My my usual, still uh, playing a little bit of Overwatch. Played through the, the Halloween event. Um, still playing through The Witcher 3, which continues to grow on me as I sink hours and hours into it. And I also picked up Heat Signature, um, which is a game I played in the beta for. A little while ago but it's from the the same guy that did gunpoint which was that sort of side scrolly detective gumshoe um deactivate the security systems puzzle platformer type thing that was really cool um i wasn't very good at it but i enjoyed it and so now i'm i'm into into heat signature which is a a top-down uh starship boarding and assassination slash steal the object, um, either as a a silent ghost or a wrench wielding maniac type game, and uh, right. yeah, uh, yeah,
1: I, I, it's cool. I'm uh, I'm on the website. I will say, their website is hot garbage. I mean, <laughs> it's heatsig.com. If you're on your computer right now, you should go go take a look. And oh man,
0: oh, these guys, I'm well, sure they yeah, designed some. I, I haven't sure design to this website. This is
1: really, it's,
0: ta- that's it's very DIY. It's very uh,
1: DIY. It reminds me of the, the websites the that I put is much together. The polished on the website. I'll with like, that. with, yeah, with like sort of, I wonder if they did, they're like, you know what? I'm going to do it old school. I'm going to code the whole thing with HTML5.
0: Well, it's pretty much just one dude. Um, yeah and this game uh i think he brought in a, a few more people but uh it's oh yeah it says right here the team yeah tom francis that that's the lead guy's name um and then he brought in some artists and coders and musicians um
1: but yeah it, it looks it's sort of it looks like this sort of top down um puzzle game seems to be his thing right he's got one called morph blade here oh, morph blade. Uh, oh
0: yeah that's right he did morph blade too morph blade is also super cool i have played that um that's cool that i like the design like it's i
1: gotta say it's pretty aesthetically pleasing just looking at uh, some screenshots here yeah.
0: and in addition um, to that the the physics are very satisfying like the movement the way that time slows down when you're targeting enemies um, there are some other time compression type effects the handling of your little space pod is actually super rewarding it's essentially just accelerate or, or thrust vector in a particular direction And the other control is match speed of target. And it like, there's not a lot of uh, complex flying going on in the game, but just like flying from your base to the different ships that you're boarding. Um, it, it's a really good feeling game. Um, and it's got the whole resistance against, um, the overlords themes going on, which is fun. And, uh, yeah, cool. you fail a lot. Yeah, it you, looks good. You Die a lot. It's
1: yeah. you know it's 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 amazing. Um, <laughs> I'm such a sucker for this too. It seems a Steam sale comes on, I see a game like this, like a year, few years ago, or whatever. Click, put it on my wish list, and then I'll get an email that says like, "Hey, you've got eight to ten games on sale today." <laughs> and I'll be like, "Oh well, they're they're only five dollars," and then I end up spending like. 50 to 100 bucks on games that i'll play for 20 20 minutes or something it's oh man it's it's a financial disaster
0: well i figure it's I,
1: financial terrorism is yeah what it is
0: well the like heat signatures on sale f- for like 12 bucks canadian right now so i figured even if i don't like i played it for a sunday afternoon essentially like several hours and i'm like you know what that if i just do that that was as much entertainment as going to the theater to watch a movie at the very least. Um, so I feel like I've already gotten my money's worth. Um, if we're using the cinema as a baseline measurement for entertainment value.
1: Yeah. Like that's, that's, that's always the baseline measurement. I remember when I was in grade 11 or grade 12, um, poker was a big thing. Um, you know, I went on exchange when I would have been in, would have been in grade twelve. But um, when I was there, that's when the NHL lockout was was on, and then uh, poker ended up getting all of this like primetime um, TV slots. And so when I came back, and, and I had to actually repeat grade twelve because Canadian system did not recognize Argentina's education system as being good enough. So I I actually had to come back and repeat grade 12 which is ridiculous but I did it um, anyway and so poker was this like huge thing when I came back because everybody watched it so much on TV and that was anyway my point is that was the same justification right as the guy who was like trying to hustle people into coming into like his poker game he would be like well you know I, you spend 20 bucks to go to go to the movies right you get your popcorn you get your ticket and then why not come for an evening of entertainment and and lose all of your money to me because I know how to play poker and you don't. Um,
0: and it was a good sell. Like yeah, I remember, that's a very I good pitch. It. I've definitely bought into similar pitches before.
1: Oh, for sure. I think he has gone on to do very financially lucrative things. <laughs> in his life. He was a he was a good salesman.
0: What about you, Ian? What have you been playing?
1: Um, I. You know what? Actually, after our conversations about The Witcher, I. <laughs> I gotta eat a little crow, because <laughs> I got I got into it again. Yeah. And
0: wait, so are you first... are you restarting it or picking up where you left off, or is this no. new game plus?
1: No, I just picked it up where I left off. Okay, um, because I had originally I got it I got a Steam sale purchase. I mm-hmm. I picked it up with the two DLCs, um, Hearts of Stone and. Blood and Wine
0: are gonna, the two. I was going to say Iron and Wine. I was like, no, nope, right. that's music. I a, it's
1: so soulful. <laughs> um, and and it's awesome. It's yeah, so good. It it's is so really good. good. And, you know, man, like it, not only like the graphics, uh, it, it looks good. The dialogue is so sharp, so emotional. The, the Hearts and Stone expansion pack i won't actually ruin it for you because i i can appreciate that you are playing through it and i
0: yeah i'm I'm definitely going i I was thinking during because this past week as i was playing i was already i was like trying to figure out where in the main campaign i was and how many hours i had left and then i started getting sad and i was like oh no wait wait wait, there's still two expansions i'm fine i'm fine
1: yeah I, i and and um so both of the expansions are really good for different reasons. Um, I'm now, I'm just kind of getting into the story of the blood and wine expansion, but I completed the heart hearts of stone expansion and just the story that they lay out in hearts of stone. um, It's, 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 it's like the story is like slowly and then suddenly emotion, right? Piece by piece. And then, and then you realize they've laid this like amazing groundwork and for me, it, it, it totally caught me off guard. Oh, I'm like, so I, excited. I, you should be, you should totally, yeah, you should be excited. It's, it's worth it. And I think that like, it's one of these things where you see, you see all this love for the Witcher online and, and a guy like me sort of like after, ha- after having put it down for about a year, I get kind of cynical. Right. And like that, they, they the, the, like our gaming subreddit just drives me insane like I can't, almost like oh my god, find something new to talk about, people. Um, but then I go back, and sure enough, it's amazing. So have fun.
0: Yeah, I will. I was, I, I did burn myself out a little bit last week. Um, I put in probably more hours than were healthy on a given day. So, but I feel like I might have recovered, and now you've got me hyped back up. So I think after our discussion today, I'm gonna boot it back up and pick up
1: yeah i think the advice i would give you and anyone else who's gonna play um play the witcher because there's a lot of side quests and some of the, some of the side quests i will say are very repetitious but even um,
0: but even then there's they're, they're engaging like i like the story and i like the vo- voice acting and i like how ugly the peasants are and
1: <laughs> yeah, I dig it too, right? It's like not everybody's everybody is beautiful well, in the game.
0: Well, in, in fact, the only beautiful people are Geralt and the women. Right. It, yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah, they do that. Everyone and else I'm is sure ugly. And I'm
1: sure they do that. Everyone yeah. else is ugly. You are the pretty one. This is your fantasy. Live it. Oh, yeah. So, what I would say is if you get to the point where you start. Um, skipping dialogue not because you know you've read read the subtitles and you're in it but if you start skipping dialogue because you are just trying to get you know through the game faster so you can get those experience points or the money or whatever it is um finish the quest that you're on or whatever and then just put it away for a little bit and come back to it later because the dialogue all of it i find so good um, so just, just watch it that's, and enjoy it.
0: All right. That's good advice. I will heat that moving forward.
1: Yeah. Um, I've also, uh, I, I'll, I'll, I bought two games just now because I'm a sucker. Um, but I've been curious, I've been curious about these games and I bought them and they have mixed reviews, like total mixed reviews on steam. And I bought it anyway. Cause it was down to like, I think it was down to like 10 bucks or something. Uh, um hello neighbor do, yeah do you know this you game know, you
0: mentioned it to me and I wasn't familiar with it
1: so here watch watch the uh watch the trailer yeah i'm going, um, i'm going over
0: right now actually
1: yeah yeah watch the trailer right now and we'll uh we'll 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 cut this we'll cut this audio down if we have to go <laughs> okay. i know I've said that before <laughs> and then just let it. <laughs>
0: let it not so all right hello neighbor that looks great (laughs) right yeah like i i really dig the concept yes so for people who haven't heard of it like me the the first description on steam is hello neighbor is a stealth horror game about sneaking into your neighbor's house and figuring out what he's hiding in the basement play against an advanced ai that learns from your actions that sounds totally legit and the the, the aesthetic looks great
1: the aesthetic looks i think it looks great like the um super uh, cartoony super cartoony but like cartoony and then and it does a good job of of looking creepy like i think Mm -hmm. that it's cartoony but i would be shocked if i don't get some like very good jump scares out of it um but then, like, man, if you go to the reviews, and I still <laughs> bought it. The reviews are not good. The most, like, just No, man, now, they're not at all. They're not <laughs> good. It's like the poor IA and the game-breaking physics. Like, it looks glitchy. It says, like, sucks, don't buy it. Yeah, I bought it for 7 seven bucks, but I still hate it. It's like,
2: oh, <laughs> I don't know
1: why I did that. Well, um, but you anyway. have played it? No. Oh, you, oh, oh! You're just sitting on no, it. No, I'm just sitting it. on it right okay, now. Okay. So you know what? Like, I'm gonna, I'll give it. I'm gonna give it the best shot that I can give it. Okay. And if I it's, think that's fair. And and you know, I it, I got it on sale. It wasn't it wasn't very expensive, and I'd been looking at it for a while. So, um, I'll let you know. Um, I'll let you know next week or yeah, a couple of weeks how it. how it goes. Okay. So, let's get into the meat of today's discussion. Um. I, I have a colleague, um, Dr. John Arntz. He is a, he's an English professor and he is a verified Southern gentleman from gentlemen. No, but he is a, um, he's an academic. He is a smart guy and he's in, uh, an English professor, or English teacher at the school that I work at. And he has been talking about the matrix and a book called the nether. Um, uh, which centers which centers essentially around um, the living out fantasies in a virtual world, right where where in the real world there are there are laws, um, both natural laws like physics, and there are legal social laws um, that would prevent you from living out a certain set of behaviors. and so people go into the nether. And now people have been talking about this concept for quite a long time, right? I mean, uh, uh, like the, the whole premise, or at least the beginning of the premise of the show, Westworld on HBO, it's awesome, you should watch it, um, is this, right? Like you want to go out and you want to, uh, you know, rob a train and, and, um, and more illegal stuff. You can do whatever you want so the nether sort of explores that concept and by extension one of the things that john and and the english department but but john is really interested in is the idea of um simulation and the idea of um living in a virtual world and the difference between experienced emotions in a virtual place and a real or based reality place um so, without further ado, here is that interview now.
0: Yeah, all right. <laughs> That's cool. All
1: right. Where's your mic? We're good to so go. Do I
2: hold it? You have is to hold good? it.
1: Yeah, just you hold it close okay. closest to your mouth, and um, we should be good. We're we're actually recording already. Oh, I just started okay. it up. Um, so yeah, let's get going. Um, thanks. We got, uh, a resident smart guy here in, uh, Dr. John Arntz, uh, a relative, term. Re- relative maybe, but smarter than me, certainly on this tub, uh, on this, on this subject. Um, and he has graciously agreed to come and spend 15 or 20 minutes with us just to answer some questions. Um, right after we got our schedules, uh, kind of slammed, not that we're going to talk about that on the record necessarily, but, uh. Let me just, uh, I'll say t- time is tight and I and I appreciate you coming in.
2: Yeah, my pleasure.
1: So you you—you uh, you suggested that we talk about the hyper real and, um, and Baudrillard on the podcast about a week ago. Yeah. Um, because we were talking about sort of reaching back to, as I remember it, beyond choices and the magic circle and decisions um, in game having real emotional consequences and, and sort of that that blurring of, um, what's meant to be a simula- simulation, um, uh, blending into a real world experience. And so you, you sent this article to our, to our door and yep. I thought it was really interesting. Um, and James and I both read it <laughs> and we don't understand a goddamn
2: word. Well, okay. I, <laughs> I, I don't know that I can offer much more in the way of understanding cause there's a lot of it. I don't understand. I understand less of it than I, I don't understand more than I actually understand. Um, but it struck me because there's blurring of the, the real and what's not real. And yet there are things that are artificial or simulations that can have, um, impacts that are real. They can manifest in ways that are tangible to us emotionally, sometimes physically. Um, so yeah, that's why I passed it along and keep in mind, this is, uh, sort of excerpts that I had pulled from a longer piece. Um. I don't know that reading the longer piece will will be of any help. Uh It might make it worse. It might actually make it worse, yeah, yeah. Um
1: it actually it seems to me it's one of these ideas that the closer you think you're getting to a definition of the hyperreal, um the more the more it opens up sort of in this like a like a postmodern kind of way like you have to yeah. you have to try and conceptualize the whole thing at once. Um otherwise you might get caught up in.
2: Yeah, and well and and Baudrillard talks about how even that is is inaccessible that that the illusion is not accessible it's the illusion is as inaccessible as the real thing because without a real thing you can't have an illusion of the real thing so we're left in sort of this wasteland of the real and and how do you know what's real and and what's not and I think we're at a really interesting moment in in gaming where the technology has come to the point where there are experiences that are more immersive in the packet that I gave you guys um, Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's the the section where he, he talks about Disneyland as sort of yeah. an analog. That was uh, awesome. That it's was right over here. Yeah, that was the closest part that I felt um, are, had the most relevance to what, what y'all had been talking about on the podcast.
1: It's it's like, you know, we're aware of we're aware of experiences and emotions that we want, but we're not accessing those in our day to day or in the real. And so we create a simulation around the experience that we want.
2: Yeah. Or the simulation has sort of been created for us. Like we don't have a lot of autonomy and at times whenever we're reproducing, um, a simulation, we're not really even aware that we're doing it because it's something that operates subconsciously and it's the way that we have constructed our people around us have constructed the things that are around us.
1: But it's, it's a simulation in the sense because it is performative. Per- right. 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 Um, have you read uh, Philip Dick's sci-fi book, um, Do Androids Dream of Electronic Sheep? Uh,
2: no. I've ha- seen... Have you seen Blade Runner? I've seen Blade Runner, yes.
1: So they, they come up with something that I didn't think about the connection until right now. And I just finished the book, so it's, it's top of mind. But they have this object in the book called an empathy box. And it's like, in your day-to-day life, life is mundane. You know, all the, all the life on, on Earth has been... Natu- like, animal life and planet life has been destroyed. Um, and so there's this absence of, of color in the world that would make people feel different emotions, happiness, but sadness as well. And up and down and, um, people subscribe to a religion called Mercerism. We don't need to get into that, but they, in that they, they interact with a device called an empathy box and they dial it to a certain degree. If you want to feel level six or seven, um, happiness or um, connectivity with another person, you hold the handles on the empathy box and it charges you with this, this emotion. And I think that, um, I didn't get it maybe in the same way until I started reading this, which is how does this make sense? And it's like, well, if we're, if we're starting to limit our enjoyment in mundane tasks based on the world around us, um, are we supplementing that? by creating surreal and simulated, simulative experiences um
2: around us like
1: movies and video games and um other other performative simulations Well,
2: Disneyland being the one like Disney, even, yeah. he, he refers to it in the piece. he calls it contactotherapy right that that was Baudrillard's word what we practice is contactotherapy which isn't actually contact contactotherapy is as real Uh, as the hyper real is real so we replace the a real experience with this contact so in Disneyland what makes it what makes Disneyland appealing in his piece related to what you say is that we don't actually have meaningful contact with other people but we are around other people and there's and he uses the word I think tenderness and warmth to describe Disneyland and that's what we Want We want to go to a place where there are other people. It's the same reason I log into Azeroth. Um, mm-hmm. And in this environment that is created, it's ostensibly imaginary. And Baudrillard says, well, it's it's imaginary, yes, but the imaginary is set up to make everything that's not that's outside of the imaginary seem real make Los Angeles seem real when in reality it's not real. It seems more real because it's not Disneyland. Disneyland is encapsulated within something that is real. It is the imaginary within the real. And his argument is that it's really the imaginary within the imaginary. So if we take that analog of the limiting of human contact, yeah, I think we look for a place to replace that. Um, and Mm -hmm. I think the greater the immersive internet experience, um, the software games, whether you are interacting through a first-person shooter, whether it's you know teamwork, whether it's an o- massively uh, multiplayer online role-playing game, it's a lot of yeah replacement in the same way that the empathy box provides you with something a, a stimulate a simulation that is stimulation. Uh, the the emotions are real, but the the thing that generates the emotion is not right. Does that and. Well,
1: we can go, I guess, to what Baudrillard would say. Um, do, do you think he would think that matters or it doesn't matter? Whether it's a, a sort of a base reality, I don't want to call it authentic because why couldn't a simulated emotion or experience be authentic, but um, is one better than the other?
2: Yeah, so uh, I, I don't know. I think this is where I would probably circumscribe my very limited understanding of of Baudrillard's work. Um, but I don't think that it really, that the base acknowledgement of our realization, our prioritization of one is more preferable than the other. One is better than the other is sort of beside the point. Mm -hmm. What he's talking about is um, an awareness. And I think the, the thing about reading some of his work is I don't know, how empowered we are. So, for instance, Simulations and Simulacra was the book in The Matrix, right? At the very beginning, whenever Neo goes over and opens up the book and he has this cache of, like, money and data drives and information, he pulls out a book of Simulations and Simulacra that had been hollowed out with with all of this sort of contraband inside. Um, and I think the movie that The Matrix offers us an explanation, it, it gives us some sort of hope um, and because it has, this, you know, the story, the plot – Whereas um, for Baudrillard, it's more descriptive. This is the nature of the reality and we need to acknowledge the reality that we are in, or the hyper that we are in. Um, so I don't know that he establishes one as being preferable than the other because it becomes a moot point because we can't access the real anyway. So why bother aspiring to something that is inaccessible? It would be, it's just futility.
1: Right well wouldn't wouldn't the matrix ought, like wouldn't the matrix offer hope in the sense that N- neo does escape the simulation right and i think that that is um uh, something that we're we're looking at now in a much more real way than when, when was the matrix nineteen ninety nine
2: nineteen ninety eight uh yeah late nineties
1: late nineties yeah. right um and then, and then, twenty years later, we have like the Oculus Rift in home or or, or the HTC Vive. Both both are very tactile, um, immersive experiences. Um, and if you haven't, well, you tried it a little yeah. bit, right? Um, and it it does a, a wildly good job of fooling you into thinking that you are somewhere that you're not. It and was
2: disorienting. I can say that I was not expecting the, like I thought the experience would be something and what I experienced was not what I was expecting.
1: I always thought it would be much more hokey yeah. than than it is. And the other thing that's, that, that I found particularly crazy with the experience is it doesn't need to perfectly replicate um, what real life looks like. What I mean by that is it, it, it can be cartoony, it can be abstract, but your brain right. still adapts to exist in that world and, and things can still uh, haptically feel very good. Um, and we're still, I think, at the very early parts of that, of, of that technology. We have, a, we have a face mask and earphones and handheld controllers, right? And and that's good. But what's going to happen when we, we sit down and we have, a, we have a chair that provides us with feedback? and And there it's like, okay, well, now we're in the matrix. Right. Or or maybe we develop a technology where y- your eyes don't get tired from looking at a screen for more than an hour, which for me is 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 the limiting factor. But I don't know where I was going with that. I guess just that, you know, uh, the matrix provided provided with provided us with an insight where we could be stepping into a simulation um, very soon. And and what happens when we make a switch to the authentic to the virtual. Right. Because that to me that's not even necessarily a simulation anymore. It's just a, a different reality, right? If, right. If you're living there and you're socializing and you're having sex and you're shopping and you're playing games or working, or you could do your you could do your whole life sitting there, and already that's possible, but. What if in five or 10 years, it's, it's actually comfortable,
2: right? And I think it's the emotional elements of it. You mentioned going back to the empty box and, and in the previous podcast, whenever you had talked about the, uh, the VR girlfriend, um, right. Yeah. And, and what that represents and, and how it mimics our seeks to evoke real emotions on a level that are that, that have been, what's drawing me to games. Prior, Um, Mm -hmm. I mean, the reason why I got involved um, in video games initially was was, you know, it was it was fun. It was escapism. And then you realize later on as more and more people are getting increasingly connected, it becomes um, a proxy for real social interaction and it wasn't like i was right. i was living some sort of lonely solitary life um i was working on the phd wife friends all of that um but it became this other place where i could interact with other people and i found that those were really enriching experiences and these were people that i got to know in real life um and i found that going back to other games are really difficult to do games that don't offer that mm-hmm. strictly single, single player i know you have very rich worlds? I won't talk about my experience with The Witcher, uh, lest I incur the wrath that has previously been <laughs> um, established on this podcast. Uh, but oh,
1: yeah, actually, I have been playing <laughs> through The Witcher for the last two weeks now.
2: And uh, do we? Do we? Are we avoiding The Witcher? No, no. I Is just. Trigger point here? No. I yeah. I. I the single player RPG is something that I played for a long time, and I, but I find it really difficult to go back after now my sort of reality, I guess, for playing a role playing game now includes other people in a populated world and other people's avatars moving and talking and interacting. Right. Um. So going back to those, I'm like, oh, where is everybody? It's... Like it's, it's like being in like, it's lonely. Maybe it is. It's being right? in Disneyland where there's, you know, after hours, there's nobody there. It's still the same park. I can ride the ride. It's still really fun. I could, I would probably enjoy myself and it's beautiful and it's striking and it's all of the things it is when it's filled, but it just, it's better when there are other people. Now, I don't even know those people. Like I'm yeah. filled with all of these anonymous strangers, but there's something about sharing this imaginary space with other people where I'm like, oh, it's. It's real. It's not imaginary because if all these other people are here, uh, it's not. And and what I find interesting is that whenever I talk to people about their Disney experiences and only have one experience to speak of uh, it's the adults who seem to get more out of it. And I think Baudrillard saw something really uh, socially relevant when he makes that observation of no, 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 Disney's for adults because it does all of those things. Yeah, children don't decide to
1: go to Disney right. World. Children, children want to because they hear about this magical place. But ultimately, it is adults making the decision to go, and either they're going to experience, experience an emotion, which is this, this sort of beautiful um, gift that they're giving to their kids, and, and experiencing joy through their proxies, but also having a, a good time themselves, or it's or it's adults who choose to go to Disney World, and I don't judge. But I do a little bit. <laughs> everybody
0: whatever. does. Yeah.
1: Everybody. I, I think everybody does. But yeah. but it's it's. I'm sure if I went to Disney World tomorrow, I would have a great time because that's what they manufacture. Yes. Right. And and I think that as an adult, when you go, um, yeah, you are you are seeking to purchase uh, a particular set of experiences and emotions, and um, and they're quite efficient at delivering on that.
2: Yeah. And I find that I'm drawn. In the, on the video game landscape, because I, I don't want to make this like an amusement, I know this is not an amusement park podcast. It's the same, it's the same concept, right? right? If we're talking
1: about looking at a packaged set of emotions and video game, maybe it's excitement and it's adventure um, in something like The Witcher 3 yeah. that you're purchasing, right? Um, as opposed to joy and, I don't know, serendipity or whatever that you get at Disney Disney, Rome. right. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you
2: off. No, I I was just I find that the uh, the games that offer me the most sort of replayability are the the ones where the experience differs each time that I log in, mm-hmm. um, because that that if you think about going back to the Matrix, those glitches, those are the things that violate the sort of seemingly spontaneous, you know, Diablo esque generation of new worlds e- and dungeons every time or, yeah. you log in right, right. Um, and I think that was a really revelatory moment for for gaming uh, this newly generated and so it's those hiccups in the matrix that point the, the user to oh wait something's not right something's not right and I think there's something really important to sustaining this image of the real when it's not actually the real by keeping you engaged keeping you stimulated by things that are constantly evolving
1: right it would keep it would keep you paying attention also, the idea of living in a VR simulation and understanding that something is just not quite right is terrifying. Right, right. That, right? that like sort of off putting nature,
2: you don't want that. Right. It's
1: very off putting. Like, you know, I think we've all had dreams, for example, where uh, you wake up and you're like, oh, well, I had this crazy dream. And you were there and we were at my house. And then you think about it and you're like, wait, that wasn't my house. It didn't look anything like it. It was, the walls were green and it was huge. And I don't live in a mansion, but in the dream, it was normal. Um, so, okay. I have one, one last question. And then I, th- we have to, we have to roll out cause yep. time is disappearing on us here. Correct. Um, if, if with the, the manufactured experience of the hyper real, right. Uh, we're seeking, seeking real experiences and emotions that exist in a plane that is simulated um, because the outcomes in terms of emotions and experiences are real should we be and this is a classic mom question and I, I apologize for asking it because I think that it's been sort of solved but um, if we look at it through this lens should we be more concerned about content in simulated experiences for
2: users um as being a generally anti-censorship of most any form guy, I would say, no, I realizing that this place could become sort of a virtual and in some ways already a virtual wild wild West, where you know even stretching beyond games, you're talking about social media um, engagement and people generating things um, that are not true, that are inaccurate depictions of you know other people, um, other you know political parties, whomever and then they have real life consequences. I do think that there is going to come a moment where the more immersive these things become, they have to be legislated, controlled, police surveilled in the way that we do what we, what I, I'm i going to say is reality, probably to Baudrillard's chagrin, um, that behavior is regimented, it is regulated, there are places in place, and. As we get to a place where more virtual reality becomes normalized, becomes part of people's everyday um, experience, and then eventual elements of their reality or identity, uh, yeah, uh, as uncomfortable as it it makes me, and and how would you police that? Because I think that that some of those the the people the, the institutions that would be responsible for our monitoring these things, my past research dealing with the inefficiencies of the law enforcement system, for example, like I don't, I, I don't trust them to police this in real life. So, to so what body do we turn to for this virtual space? I have no idea. And that's the thing that sort of scares me the most. A virtual body maybe, right? Yeah. It's just, it's a, it's, there's a vacuum I think that that is there right now. And, um, I, if it's, if the, you know, pardon the cliche but the proverbial horse gets too far out of the barn how how do you how do you catch up and how far along is it i don't now? think
1: i don't think we put it back in i think that's impossible right? well you can't and, and it's you just have to
2: you, well we just
1: have to destroy all the servers on the <laughs> Earth or whatever right like there's some pretty pretty extreme measures would have to be taken um well thank you for for discussing the void with me here today i'm gonna pass this on to james and let him have a listen and then he'll probably disagree with everything that i said and uh I definitely is going to agree with your non-censorship uh,
2: approach. Yeah, no. I uh, Well, look, I, I enjoyed it. It was an interesting experience. Um, I I don't know that I've done this really justice because of the, the brevity of where we find ourselves. Like right now as we're watching the minutes tick by, realizing we need to be someplace else very soon. Um, but, you know, I, I think Baudrillard would sort of appreciate that that is us – succumbing to the structures of the reality that has been built for us by other people. Oh, nice. (laughs) Nice tie-up. All right. Thanks a lot, man. All right. My pleasure.
0: Hey,
1: you want to just wait for like 25 minutes while it (laughs) plays (laughs)
0: out? oh that's funny i was actually thinking i was like how is are we we're just gonna jump to the end right yeah, like, yeah we're gonna jump <laughs> yeah radio magic so, it's radio
1: magic so um james that was that was the interview and and we sent that over to you because i um i recorded that actually at my school and then and then you've had a chance now to listen to it what did you what struck you what did what did you think
0: well i'm, I'm really glad uh you guys had that discussion because it when i looked at the reading that he had sent along those excerpts it was that was some pretty heady stuff man and i'm not terribly academically inclined so um and my my baseline philosophy understanding is pretty low so it was good to get a lot of it contextualized and in terms of not that I would be able to explain it to a five year old still that's for sure but there were some very interesting things talking about how how the two of you were talking about the the realness of feeling and the realness of how we interpret simulations um, and yeah it it was i'm I'm still wrapping my head around it yeah, and it's okay
1: so we we didn't like we didn't spell out what the what it actually said so much in the mm-hmm. article as as much as we tried to um and i referenced the the term like postmodern approach which is to to try and look at the whole thing at one at one time um I heard uh, when I was at Queens, ages, ages ago, and I feel like I said that word, and I just like, you know, created a very divisive audience. And, and anybody who's listening, like, ah, oh, well, either you rock or you suck. Now, um, hopefully not. But I listened to this this talk about um, the modern versus the postmodern, and the way that this teacher was able to break that down in terms of how to approach the postmodern idea structure was that if you are on a road trip and you're sitting in the back window and you're just letting your ideas drift out to the window right the modern is to try and understand that there is a truth or there is a singularity and it's you know how your eyes are if you're staring out of the window and you're just kind of like um driving down a country road but but quickly as the trees go by your eyes will naturally sort of Grab onto one tree at a time, and you'll follow it. And that tree will start at the beginning of the window. And as soon as it's out of your vision, you'll you'll sort of flip over to the next one quickly, and watch them go by. Do you know? Do you know what I'm talking about? In yes. Terms of that metaphor. Yes. Right. Yeah. So you feel that, right? You have felt that. Yep. Now, the postmodern approach, and and the way I think that you need to understand or try to understand Baudrillard, um, would be to as a metaphor, of course, um, but in that metaphor. Um, Sort of blur your vision a little bit, or try to sink your eyes back into your head a little bit, and then just see the whole picture as it drifts by, so not to allow yourself to try and focus on one truth, but to try and consume the whole idea as, as, a, as a one as a one thing, as a thing. Now, if that sounded smart, <laughs> p- please understand that I don't understand a word. A single word that I just (laughs) (laughs) said. Okay. Um, But okay. Um, To get around the idea. that The reading is very heavy. Um, The reason that we brought John in. Is he sent us a, a article that starts with this sentence. Singular sentence. This imaginary of representation, which simultaneously culminates in and is engulfed by the cartographer's mad project of the ideal coextensivity of map and territory, disappears in the simulation whose operation is nuclear and genetic, no longer at all specular or discursive.
0: So like... Like the individual words? I think there are two or three words that I'm like, that's made up. But all the other other words I, I recognized... But it was the order in which they were placed that yeah.
1: was. Uh... He was he was so excited, you know. He was like, you know, you need to read this because it's it's the, the ideas that are brought up, and then to send me a reading, it's just hateful. It's just <laughs> it's personally personally harmful. Anyway, so what? Yeah, what we did, we we sat him down, we had that conversation, and I hope you all enjoyed it. Um, the well, you- best part of that. Sorry. Well, you guys
0: were able to like distill some very, some much more accessible ideas that, and ideas that were presented in that reading, Um, but yeah, you guys were able to to ground it much more um, in terms of talk and yeah discussing about the experience of Disneyland, um, the and your individual experiences with VR um and the the one thing that the one example from the reading that i really appreciated was this idea of the perfect simulation not being a simulation anymore because it's impossible to extract it from or differentiate it from reality in terms of like a perfectly executed mock bank robbery where if no one else is in on the simulation, everyone else in the world treats it as the real thing. And the, then it and,
1: drops down into the actual level of reality. Yeah. He says, yeah. Could you, I don't think we actually talked about that. Could you just, could you, could you spell it out? Um, okay. Yeah. So from the beginning, just take us through what that metaphor is. Cause I think it's really helpful.
0: Yeah. So imagine that you want to you wanna pull off an epic prank. And this prank is you're gonna pull this prank on everyone at the bank on the corner. All the tellers, all the customers, all the bank managers in the offices in the back. So This is
1: like every YouTube douchebag exactly, right now is, yeah. is like Oh, this is that's a great <laughs> prank. And you're like, That's not a prank. Yeah. That's so that's
0: crime. So yeah you get you get a well yeah let's say you even get you get a, a a real firearm but you load it with blanks you have a plant in the bank so someone who's in on this whole charade and you get them wired up with squibs so that you can simulate shooting them and blood will explode from their clothes while this is happening and you're just you're incredibly convincing. Um, and so I love that that detail is not in the reading. At, it's not in the <laughs> metaphor. You are just running with it. Yeah, but it, I love it. Yeah, it just, paint me a word picture, James. It, Yeah, think of everything you could do to do to demonstrate the this ideal bank heist, but it's it's not a heist because you're not actually planning to to steal money, you're not actually planning to kill anyone and you don't have the capacity to kill anyone. However, because everything that you're communicating to the outside world is that this is real and there's a veracity to your actions and all your actions are they're codified <laughs> and people understand that code to mean this bank is being robbed they're going to respond in in kind and the police will be called the emergency and task the, force will and respond and the police
1: will respond on you know they yeah. to them the idea is is if it's a simulation if you're playing a game right however that game so closely mimics reality that the reality that reacts to the game playing, um, or or the emotions that are invoked because of the simulation, those are real and those exist within the simulation. But the reactions and the emotions that stem from it are real, and therefore, it drops that simulation drops into the level or the playing field of the real, and it doesn't matter. And, and Baudrillard, right? He he continues. Sorry, did you? I mean, like that's, yeah, no, that's kind of that's the end. Yeah, I that's the I end of the metaphor. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You, are, were you going to describe the police coming in and, and I, lighting I was going you to, up?
0: But I had, uh, I realized that I could have tied that up much tidier earlier on in the discussion. But yeah, for all people, understand what's being said yeah,
1: here. Yeah, people like the police come in, they get called. You have a fake gun. They don't know it's loaded with blanks. They shoot you. You die. Simulation is over. Right. Yeah, about right. So, about that yeah that sounds i mean it's 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 good right i mean like uh, no it's not good what am i saying it's uh weird <laughs> i still don't know what i'm talking about <laughs> but it's it's essentially that right that that if the emotions are 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 simulated I don't, my my question is still does it matter and i guess not
0: right that was what kept coming up for me as i was listening uh to your discussion um was isn't isn't the emotion all that matters like really because like that's that's part of that's how we experience things you know we're just big old sacks of chemicals looking for ways to change the types of chemicals that are in our sacks and hey now (laughs) this is a (laughs) family-friendly
1: podcast james
0: um yeah i i think i think that yeah they're if the emotions are what is is where authenticity lies right
1: i mean yeah I, i i i think so like it i will at least i will definitely acknowledge that in a simulated environment um i can appreciate that the value of the emotions being stirred up is real and that the emotions are real um how do you feel, would you agree that buying a video game is purchasing a subset of emotions? Are, are, you, are you willing, I guess, to dilute, dilute it down that much? Or, or not dilute, distill it down to, to the idea that when you're purchasing, purchasing a video game, let's say I wanted to buy the, the new um, Call of Duty 4, right? It's out, people are loving it um and by the way my my students are saying that it's killing fortnite which is like mind blowing after we spent so long talking about fortnite um they're like oh yeah no fortnite's dead now we're like oh wow they're still playing it's not true anyway let's say you buy the new call of duty 4 because you're a hip kid are you just buying action and adventure are you yeah are you buying that sense of adventure are you buying a game
0: I think that yeah. When you, or is that stupid? Like I think that at no, some point I, we
1: can just be like, "That's stupid."
0: No, I, I think that yeah. I'm I'm looking for an experience, and sometimes I don't know exactly which emotions and which responses are going to be packaged in a given experience. Um, but I have I usually have a pretty good idea, and that's usually how the games are marketed as like they 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 let you know up front usually this is this is our game this is the genre these are the mechanics this is probably how you're going to feel um yeah and i think that yeah when you when you mentioned that in the, the discussion about how these um these emotions are being are yeah they're being sold as a commodity and as a as a package as a packaged experience yeah i think you hit the nail on the head and mind you that's it's probably not all games, but right. I, I think that I,
1: I think if you do, like, if you're able to elicit a genuine emotional response from your from your user, your player, then you've then you've done a good job. <laughs> maybe unless that emotion is, um, I hate this game. It doesn't work. It's not doing the thing that I want it to do. It's a broken game. Like when I play hello neighbor right after we've done this call and it glitches out and I'm not like I'm not feeling scared because he's a creepy guy and I'm sneaking into his basement to figure out what the real mystery is. I'm just frustrated because the 20 or 10 bucks that I just spent is on like a broken toy. That is also a real emotion that I more than likely, according to reviews, about to experience, um, but not as a result of game, uh, game design. Right.
0: Yeah, I, I I guess there's this. I guess this is coming back to the idea of complicit, of complicitness. Is that what we were talking about before several episodes ago? About there's sort of this contract between the designers and the player, Um, and if you are.
1: It's compliance,
0: Compliance, dude. not complicitness. Oh, my God. I, I was like, is it complacency? I was like, no, no that's just that how either. I approach life in general. Um,
1: <laughs> Welcome but, to Two Player, a podcast hosted by two dum-dums who need to ask their smart friends to help them with philosophy. You know what? I, I think that, that you're on to a new format. That, that's a new tagline for sure. Smart guys ask. No, that, no. Oh, I can't even get that right. <laughs> Uh, no, Ah, oh, jeez. I think, okay, so I think we solved it, James.
0: I think so. Okay, now I want to do um, a feelings inventory when I'm playing games. Uh, and for the next little while, so the next time we do What Have You Played This Week, Ian, um, I think we should talk about what we played, but also... Really, how we felt about it it and not just how we felt about it, but did we actually experience like r- did we have real emotional reactions to anything we played um
1: I think that is a great idea um and I feel like there's a lot of part of my French but like sort of b s emotional responses to Two games that are out there, and, and you know, like in the, if you're a real gamer, you're gonna play this and like, oh, I'll really feel something and get the narrative. But I, I've definitely played games where um, I expected I was told I was gonna feel something, and as I was playing it, it didn't really, didn't really do anything for me. So um, I like that. So play something and then and then figure out, okay, authentically, if I'm being real, what what am I feeling right now?
0: I like it. That's a good homework assignment.
1: That's a good homework assignment. So I'm going to go, I'm going to play a little bit of uh, Hello Neighbor and see if I feel scared or angry. Um, nice. I'll, and, I'll go uh,
0: play some more Witcher 3 and uh, see and if let
1: me And let me know how that makes you feel.
0: I, I will. I will do that.
1: All right. Well, we'll leave it there for now. Thanks again, everybody, for listening. I'd like to give a shout-out to Paper Skies, who is a Toronto-based musician and artist. He helped us out with our theme song and our lovely, lovely graphic. Thanks again for listening. If you're having a good time listening to this, please recommend it to a friend. We'd love to get more people listening to this show. You can follow us on Twitter as well. We are at podcast underscore TO. And please tell your friends. And if you're liking it, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts as well. Until then, thanks for listening. Later, player.